Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me to kick off the show is author Tim Wendell. He's written this great book called Cancer Crossings, A Brother, His Doctors, and the Quest for a Cure for Childhood Leukemia. Good morning, Tim. Janine, how are we doing? Wonderful. I I, uh, really enjoyed reviewing your book. I mean, as I mentioned, unfortunately, cancer has, you know, hit me personally, and uh, but obviously you too. Um, do you want to start off by talking about your brother? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, it was interesting in doing Cancer Crossing, Janine. I felt like I was peeling back the years and got to know him again. My brother was... Ooh, Tim? My brother was... Wait, wait, Tim, hold, hold on. Tim, back up a second. I lost yep, a couple yep. sentences there. Uh, you were saying about oh, your brother. Oh. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, Eric, Eric diagnosed acute lymphotic, lymphotic leukemia at the ADA3, and this was in '96. At that point, those diagnosed with ALL was roughly about a 10% survival rate. Oh. Now it's 90%. And so we hear talk about a cancer moonshot, and yeah, the more support and money, et cetera, but we've had one already, and it's the doctors that took ALL from pretty much what was a, a death sentence to many kids being in remission and living to be adults now. And so that was the genesis of the book. And once I realized that and that many of these doctors were still out there, even though they were in their late 80s, early 90s, I went in search of them. And uh, just hearing their story coupled with my family story, I think... Uh, my hope is it's reassuring to people. It's a resilient story. And, you know, as we were just talking, everybody now knows somebody who is dealing with cancer. One in three Americans will be directly impacted by some form of this disease. So my hope is the book, you know, kind of rallies people and kind of shows shows them the way through. Yeah. Now, you're a writer in residence at John Hopkins. How long have you been there? I have been probably at Johns Hopkins almost going on, well, more than 15 years. And I wow. think it's uh, it's funny because I did my grad work there, and I never, I did my grad work to become a better writer. I, some people do it to become teachers. I mean, there's different goals. But uh, I never thought about teaching. But then the, the director kind of convinced me to give it a shot. And I did, and I really enjoy it. And I've had a I've had more than 10 of my students now publish first uh, novels. I've had 20, 25 students do nonfiction books, and that's what really keeps me going, is seeing them being transformed and really embracing what they want to do. One of the first questions I ask any of my students is, what do you really want to do? And mm-hmm. let's be honest. Let's, let's get right down to it, and let's really blue sky it. And I think it really is empowering once you put those wishes or desires or goals out there, you can really act much better on them. Great question. That's a really, really great question because a lot of times, you know, we do things because we think that's what's expected of us. And you you said a a few seconds ago, you know, I I didn't really want to become a teacher. I wanted to become a better writer. And I mean, I went to BU and got a PhD very young. And I didn't do the typical path. I mean, and, and it helped me in so many ways. 
very much. And I don't think there's really, as you well know, Jeannie, any typical path anymore. I right. mean, we've got to make our own paths. And if we can be honest with, you, with each other, and expectations, what people think is, is expected, can be so corrupting. And I know when I ask that question of my students, and I usually teach grad level, and they're pretty savvy, but it still kind of rocks them because at times some of them are trying to figure out what I want. That doesn't matter what I want. It's what you want. And we can work together maybe to make it come to fruition. Yeah. I remember uh, I was mentioning I went to Syracuse, and I remember walking into my, uh, who would soon become my advisor's office, and for two hours I had just met this person, total stranger. I sat with him for two hours. He said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I talked about my different interests and I thought I wanted to major in one thing because someone in my family had done that. And the truth is, I had to really vocalize what it is I liked and wanted to do. And that's very difficult to do, I think, in this day and age. Right. Uh, and, and that's one of the things, it's funny, one of the last scenes I wrote for Cancer Crossings, um, and the, my editor called me up and he said, I think there's one last thing here. And I was supposed to, my grandfather was a civil engineer. My father reluctantly became one. I didn't, and I, I kind of disavowed that at about the age of 16, 17, about the time uh, shortly before my brother passed. And, and the editor, uh, my editor, Dean, Dean Smith, said, I don't think you make that choice unless you had a sibling really sick who eventually died. And, I, and it kind of rocked me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he said, yes or no? And I said, yes. And then I found this great quote by Jim Harrison, the novelist, saying something like, when, you know, you suffer a loss like that, it really makes you much more determined about what you exactly want to do. In a sense, you have no more room for compromise. And I think uh, that's an important thing to learn. Yes, it is. I mean, just either whether you're going through cancer or you have a family member you're losing to cancer, it's... It's so gut-wrenching, and it's, it changes you forever, obviously. Yeah, and I think, it, you, know, and, you know, certainly there's sadness, and certainly at times there's loss, but I think there's a healthy component, too. I mean, it forces you to live much more of your life in the present, and that's really about the only, you know, area we can control. We can be worrying about the future. We can be maybe regretful a little bit of the past, but it's, and that's what these doctors did. Uh, that turned the tide against ALL and childhood leukemia, they were so good at being mindful. They were so good at being in the moment. They would have clinical trials be done, and, you know, you'd look at them and go, oh, that's kind of devastating. That didn't work out very well. They would find the sliver of hope in that and be able to move ahead. What would you like people to take away from this book? I would like them to, I guess, realize that I, I think one thing cancer does is it kind of removes us a little bit from society. We, we tend to think, you know, everybody battling cancer, whether it's in your family or, you know, even yourself, we get cut off from the rest of the world uh, to a large extent. And I guess my major thing I want cancer crossings to be is to show a resilient group that, that proved they could beat cancer, but also, maybe more importantly, you're not alone. You know, there's many people out there, you know, oh, battling absolutely. this in some way, shape, or form. And the more I think you can hear about those stories, the more reassuring it can be. 
So when you were writing this book, I mean, was it, did it take you a long time? Was it, you know, was it very emotional? I know you said your daughter had some influence on you in writing this. Yeah, <laughs> my daughter usually does. <laughs> to me, more, me more than I realized. My daughter was a um, first-year medical student at Georgetown, came home for dinner one night. You know, she wasn't living at home anymore. They must have been studying leukemia. And she said, Dad, you had a brother die of leukemia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that happen? And, and, and I couldn't really answer any of her questions. And I was really kind of chagrined and embarrassed about it. About, I couldn't answer things about procedures and approaches and such. Mm-hmm. And that's where I tapped into these five or six doctors and then decided to track, track them down. And it was, the book was gut-wrenching at times, but it was also reassuring. It was also kind of oddly cleansing. It, it's, it's funny because my, my parents right now are elderly. Um, you know, you, you worry about them, et cetera. They're both in their mid-80s, roughly about the time I was tracking down the cancer docs, or as they called themselves, the cancer cowboys. Cancer and it was kind of reassuring to go back to a time almost a half century ago and realizing this was when my parents were at their best. And, uh, you know, being able able to bring that back up when you kind of see them now and you're more worried about it. So it was was interesting to turn back the clock, and and, um, and it was helpful, too. So if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Tim Wendell, who's written a book called Cancer Crossings. So the theme of my show, well, the name of my show, Get the Funk Out, how... (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Good laugh on a Monday morning. So how do you stay positive when you're faced with, you know, this awful situation, this cancer? A couple of things. Number one, there's always more fight in you, family, the family, than you expect. And um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is it's... Um, you again, get more locked in in the moment. You know, you're not quite sure. We weren't quite sure how, you know, initially my brother Eric is supposed to live a year. He ended up living eight. And so when we look back on that, and that was because of the work of the cancer cowboys and the docs, we looked back on that, and I think we were, you know, you only given one year, but you get eight. Wow, that seems like a bonanza right there. And we we crammed a lot at eight years. And that's another thing I, you know, when you kind of turn back the clock a little bit, you go, good God, we did, you know, we sailed across, across Lake Ontario repeat, repeatedly. You know, we all played hockey. We did this. We did all these trips. And you realize, don't wait for tomorrow. You can do it today. Do it. Right. It feels like every day is this bonus gift, and you should just live it fully. Yeah. And you you tend to live it, I think, Jenny, not with trepidation or with um, sadness. Things are pretty upbeat. Mm-hmm. It kind of reflects your show. I mean, we got the funk out, you yeah. know, just you know, every day was like, wow, we got this day. We're still all together. Let's Amazing. go do something great. You know, we often would. But see, and, that's, uh, that's a great attitude. Yeah. And it's one that I don't think, I think everybody, everybody thinks their, their childhood's normal. You know, and I'm putting that kind of in air quotes a little bit. But um, it wasn't until I realized explaining this to my daughter and even my son about sailing across Lake Ontario, 40 miles, open water, 
we did this all the time. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And yet that's what we did. And we had so much fun doing it. That is beautiful. I mean, I've never heard of anything like that. You know, usually people are really depressed and they don't know what to do with themselves. And I just love that story. So, and in a weird, weird way, that's what the docs did too. You know, they it must have been devastating at times for them caring for these patients. And what people don't realize is they were really criticized and ostracized by the medical community for a long period of time, and it didn't matter. You know, the right. next focus was on what good can we do with, in a sense, the, the chemotherapy drugs, the various procedures at our disposal. Let's be in the moment. Sure. Now, Tim, where can people find out more about you? Uh, they can find me on my website, timwendel.com. There's an Amazon author's page. Twitter is Tim uh, underscore then Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L. I just posted a great... Uh, uh, appreciation of Dr. Jane Polland, who is one of the main characters in the Cancer Crossings, who is working three days a week, Janine, three days a week at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Uh, he passed away a couple weeks ago, and I oh. spoke with him a couple months ago and just said, why? He's, he was 92. And I wow. said, why are you still going to the hospital? Why are you still doing this work? And, and his answer, he kind of got back in my grill a little bit. He said, well, we, we cured ALL. I think if I get a little bit more time, I can cure women's breast cancer. That's where it is. At. Whoa. And, and, uh, and that's where all these guys were, you know, very, very driven, but they could see the incremental small changes day to day. Wow, fantastic. Tim, I want to thank you so much for calling into the show. It's been great having you on. Oh, thanks for having me on. Give my best to everybody in the Irvine area. I will. Oh, I love it out there. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Place. All right. Happy spring. You too. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was author Tim Wendell talking about his latest book, Cancer Crossings, A Brother, His Doctors, and the Quest for a Cure to Childhood Leukemia. And up next, I'm going to speak with another author, uh, Daphne Marnefe, and I might probably mispronounced her name, so she'll correct me when she comes on. She's written a book called The Rough Patch, Marriage and the Art of Living Together. So we'll take a mini break, and then we'll bring her on in just a moment. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.